Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin, and I'm here with my dear friend, Frank Friedman. And Frank, it's almost Christmas. How are things around the Friedman household? We're doing pretty well, John, between moving children to new locations and crazy weather coming across towards our area, potential tornadoes and what have you. It's a good day. That's good. I know I got the uh, weather alert from my former employer, LSU, that they were closed today. So good for them, and I hope you all do well. Well, friends, if you've just joined us, Frank and I are in the middle of a series that we're calling Pivotal Words in Scripture. Now, of course, not any one word is more important than any other, but there are cases where a single word or a single phrase kind of makes a big difference, changes everything. And we're going to talk about another one of those words today, and that is the word let, L-E-T, let. Now, Frank, being the geeky guy that I am, I did some deep dives into this, and I found that if you look in the King James Version, this word appears more than 1,500 times in Scripture. So what that told me is that it's a word we easily overlook, but we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But before we get to some of these verses where let is critical, I'd like to spend just a moment to lead us off here by defining what it means, not from an English language perspective, but from a biblical perspective. And it means this, Frank. It means to permit, to allow. It means to not impede. And it implies that there's an obstacle that we've got to remove, something we need to take out of the way. Mm. And because it's in the imperative, it's a command. So, Frank, Mm. why would let, which we see so commonly in our language, why would our Lord Jesus so often, or our Father so often, Use that word as a command. John, you have opened up a major can of worms, my friend. I'm proud of you. (laughs) You're right. I think that's a word. I wouldn't have thought of that word, pivotal words. I think of grace, law, life, salvation, a little, little tiny word, let. But apparently with what you said, there's a 1500. It's a pretty big deal, especially with your definition. And, you know, John, the first thing I'm thinking of is how closely this associates with our last pivotal word, grace, where we talked in some length at the fact that this is not passivity. And boy, let turns out to be an action word, a a verb, something we have to do. And so, again, this is an opportunity, I think, John, that you've brought us to remind our listeners that grace is not passive. Our journey is not passive. We are very much involved on a day-to-day basis with choosing with our will to trust God. And, you know, you ask that question, John, why God would make such an issue of it. There's a couple of things just popped in my brain right away. 
four of them real quick. One, we all have former programming under the lie that we shall be as God. So we all have kind of this pattern where we'll handle it, God, you don't have to. We don't depend upon God. We don't let God, we'll take care of it ourselves. We have the power of the sin, which goes against who we are, the flesh, which tries to contradict who we are. And of course, the appeal of the world and the enemy, which are always trying to draw us away from Christ, who wants to do what a great verse, exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. But as James says, we don't have because we don't ask. Maybe we could add, we don't have because we don't let. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. You know, and when I think about this word let, Frank, it just is so innocuous. I saw the other day, and I guess what triggered me to look at this word was I was in the dollar store looking for some cards for Christmas. Because why spend $8 for a card when you could spend 50 cents? Mm-hmm. And so I was looking and I saw one that says, let not your heart be troubled. And it just mm-hmm. seems so nice and so warm and so cuddly, kind of like your grandmother giving you a big hug when you're afraid. And so I went to that verse, John 14, 1. And of course, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, so believe in me. But then I started to think, well, okay, what else is going on here? And it's amazing, Frank. John 14, 1 follows John 13, 37 and 38, (laughs) where Peter says, hey, Lord, why can't I follow you right now? Hey, don't you know, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, oh, really? I'm going to tell you something, son. There'll be a time when you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows in the morning. So, That's the stage. Imagine, Frank, Peter's reaction. Whoa, he's he's offended. His emotions are in an uproar. He's saying, oh, yeah, you don't know me, buddy. So this is exactly when Jesus tells Peter to let not your heart be troubled. So if Peter is in an uproar, there's an obstacle. There's a fear. There's something in the way from his believing in God. Wow, what a powerful way to look at that verse, isn't it, Frank? Oh, yes, and and not just something, but a lot of things that hinder our will, as we've already mentioned. It's weird, John. The Bible is so clear on who we are, but I don't think that many of us realize there's so much that comes against us from living like who we are. And so I'm really glad you've chosen this idea of this supremely mentioned imperative word of letting, of cooperating with God, because we're in actually a very precarious position, not in terms of maintaining our salvation, but certainly living according to who we are as a child of God. So Kudos to you. I'm glad we're investigating this further. Where are we going from here? Well, I want to kick one more anthill, if I may, before we dive in. And that is the way that we use the word let in the modern church. It's almost like it's a passive word, like, oh, well, it is what it is. You know, if you speak French, you'd say, c'est la vie. If you're a fan Mm. of Doris Day, and I am, you'd say, (laughs) que sera, sera, what will be, will be. 
And the word may occurs in scripture a lot too. Of course, I geeked out and I looked this up more than a thousand times. But may is different, Frank. It carries the idea of no obstacle. Let mm. means an obstacle. May, no obstacle. And I, my mind goes back to the original Star Wars, where the phrase was Luke, may the force be with you. You know, it, he didn't say let the force be with you. He just said, may the force be with you. It's just passive. Step aside, close your eyes, Luke, let go and trust the force. And you know, that's the way so many in the church today view trusting our father. Just let go and let God. I don't know how many times I've seen mm. that phrase, but the point is, it's not the way it is. It's a no. wrestle. It's a fight. Let is active. It's the determined choice of the will to let something happen in the face of opposition. Frank, it takes work to mm -hmm. let something happen. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a different perspective. Well, it, it involves taking your eyes off of yourself and your abilities. It involves taking our eyes off of the struggle and the obstacle that is before us. Because if we look at the obstacle, we can become very discouraged. If we look at ourselves, we can become discouraged. Or we could become overly confident in an arena which we shouldn't be confident and we're about ready to fall on our backside. It's really a vision problem. You know, John, to take our eyes off of what we see and put them on the God that we don't see and enter into a spirit of cooperation with him who we do not see. And like you said, John, that's work to not do what comes naturally, but to do what comes unnaturally, which is to trust God. It's interesting, John, we were last week in a situation and it became a little bit perilous, wasn't life-threatening, but in my mind, I mapped out what I was going to do. The situation went away. I shared it with my bride and my bride said, did you pray? And I said, no, not at all. I was mapping out how I was going <laughs> to get out of this. Sounds and familiar, bro. Yeah. And she said, 41 years as a pastor, and your first thought is still not to pray, <laughs> to look to God. It's so natural to look to myself to deliver myself, and it's unnatural to look to a God I can't see. So yeah, it's hard work. It's a journey. It's a school, and it takes time, and it also takes effort. Yeah, because there's somebody, Frank, who doesn't want us to let <laughs> Somebody who doesn't want to embrace, to walk closely. Frank, there's warfare involved. And as I've thought about this in preparation for this episode, I'm kind of convinced that this is one of the key areas where spiritual warfare occurs in our walk with our Savior. He took me to Romans 7. You know these verses very mm. well. Paul's just complaining, and he says this in verse 15. Hey, I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want to do, but I do the thing I hate. And then a few mm. verses later, he says, hey, I have the desire to do what's right. I want to do it, but somehow I can't seem to carry it out. Mm -hmm. For I do not do what I want to do. But the yeah. things I don't want to do, hey, man, that's what I keep on doing. And if I just look at these two verses, Frank, as excerpts, I'd be tempted to say, wow, if Paul can't win, how can I possibly have a chance? I'm doomed. 
this warfare is just, it, it's one, I can't possibly do it. And so mm-hmm. this is really the core of the conflict behind the word let, because there's somebody, there's something that doesn't want us to allow God to do what he will in our lives. So we have an enemy in here, Frank. So tell us what's going on. This is a warfare issue. So what's the struggle here? Well, we know we have an enemy and we know in John 10, Jesus' words, his goal, his agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to rob us of the life that we've been given, which of course he cannot do, but he can certainly rob us of the experience of that life by shifting our focus off of him, Christ, who is our life. And he has weapons. His weapons, of course, are the lie which he will use to get us to not trust God. He has the weapon that he uses called indwelling sin. Oh, yeah. Paul in Romans said, sin which dwells in me. And so it's not me. We know we're not sinners anymore. The Bible's so clear on that. We're saints, holy ones of God. But there's sin in me. And the best illustration I think we could ever give is the idea of a splinter. A splinter's in you, but it's not you. And then there's this thing in Romans 7 called the flesh. And and the flesh is simply us, our patterns of life that we have used over the years to get our needs met independent of God. And then he's got the whole world system, which John said, love not the world. Well, when he says love not the world, what is he saying? He's saying it's easy to love the world. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so there's a bunch of tools that the enemy has weapons and he wields them so skillfully. I don't know that we even realize many times they're there until they've caught us in their trap. In fact, if you look at Galatians six, that's what he calls sin. He doesn't say it's a wanton rebellion. He says, if you get caught in a trap, so he lays the trap very well. And if we're not aware which this is a great study today to make all of us aware, we will fall into that trap. And one other thought about the world, John, we we just did a study in Revelation, and he actually says that the world is a mystery. And without the spirit, we're not going to understand what a weapon that is that our enemy wields against us. We just get locked in to the world and it's uh, meeting our needs, quote unquote, instead of God. And we don't even realize it without having our eyes open. Yeah. So there's a lot of that is against us. But one thing I would add, John, Paul, thank goodness at the end of that chapter says, thanks be to God. Yeah. Uh, because there is a way out. That's right. There is a way out. And one of the ways that Paul points uh, for a way out is that he explains, Frank, the source of his flip-flopping behavior. I don't do what I want to do. He says twice right after those verses that it's indwelling sin. And Frank, he calls it a law. Mm. Verses 21 and 23, he says, there's a law in my members, not, not just something, it's a law, which is something rigid, something we can count on, something that always happens. So Frank, what he's saying is every time we want to draw near to God in our hearts, there will be opposition. Every time we want to trust him, 
there'll be something there working against us so that it doesn't happen. Now, mm-hmm. I want to kick another anthill if I can. Many in the modern church believe this is our sin nature. Mm-hmm. And they pull that from an outdated translation and a version of scripture from Romans 7. But we know that we don't have a sin nature anymore, do we, Frank? It's really the power of indwelling sin that's wrestling against us. So what's going on with the conflict between our true identities, our indwelling sin, and why some people think it's our sin nature? Hmm. Well, John, I think they want to have an explanation for why they struggle. And so it's very easy to say, well, that's my old sin nature. But I think the main issue is the body of Christ has not been taught that our old man, that's the biblical language, you know, sin nature isn't even a biblical word. No, it's not. Uh, It's a made up word. Yeah, it's a made up word. And anytime you have a made up word like rapture, that's not in the Bible. Millennium, that's not in the Bible. I think we should be very suspect of made up words because God gave us a perfect word and it's all we need. And we've got the perfect teacher, the Holy Spirit. When we start inventing words, that's when we get into trouble. Well, in Romans 6, it's real clear. We have the old man. That's the, a reference to who we were in Adam. And that old man died on the cross with Jesus. He doesn't exist anymore. He got put in the grave with Jesus and was resurrected as a brand new creation. So right and perfect that God himself could live inside our bodies. We have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And yet, There's something, Paul says, and he just says, sin which indwells me. And that's all we get. So that's why we use that illustration of a splinter. It's in me, but it's not me. We have to remember to always proclaim who we are so that when we follow something that we shouldn't be following, we don't end up saying, well, I guess I am still a sinner. We say, no, I'm a saint. I just didn't act like it. So that's probably our greatest enemy because it goes with us wherever we are. And it always beckons us to function independent of God. And that's where we get into trouble. Frank, over the years, I've seen so many people and talked to so many people who are confused about this idea of having two natures, a godly nature and a sin nature. And I think personally, that's one of the most crippling lies Uh, that percolates through the body of Christ. Because if you look at yourself and you think, well, I have a sin nature, that's the most core thing about you. It's who you are. And Mm. so, of course, you're going to sin because that's who you are. Mm -hmm. And there's no way you can stop sinning because that's who you are. And it just causes a nonstop turmoil and confusion because, of course, You see verses like, be perfect like I'm perfect (laughs) and Mm. and love people the way I love you. And so those things are impossible if you believe that you are a sinner at heart. So, Frank, this is an important issue. Maybe we should spend a a whole episode one time wrestling through this issue. Mm. What do you think? Probably would be good to do that, John, because it is such an area where the body of Christ has not understood that our old man was crucified. We don't have a sin nature. We don't have an old man anymore. We were put on the cross with Christ. 
crucified with him, buried with him, and resurrected with him as a brand new creation. And the problem is we know that throughout Old Testament and New Testament, the battleground is our mind. Uh, we're told, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're told, fix your mind on things above. Uh, whatever is right and true and lovely and honorable, set your mind. And probably the most simplistic one, but the most profound is Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks within himself, so he will be. So if we're going around thinking we're no good, filthy, wretched sinners, we're going to be living like no good, filthy, wretched sinners. And when we do, we'll excuse it because after all, I'm just a sinner and I'm doing what sinners do. That's right. It, it also sets us up for tremendous frustration because we're being called to live a life that as a sinner, we could never live. And that's what makes the glory of the new covenant so profound. We are brand new and right. And that occurred so that Jesus, the right one, could live in us. He could become our life, Colossians 3. So we could be saved by his life, which saved means made whole. And finally live the way we've always wanted to live, but lack the power to be able to do it before because we were functioning alone. And John, this ties in so well to this word, let. He is your life. Let him be your life. He is your strength. Let him be your strength. He's your comfort. Let him be your comfort. Cooperate. Here's how, probably how I'd put it. By setting your mind, you get to cooperate with who he wants to be to you and for you. And that's, that's just mind-boggling. It certainly is. And my friend, it's amazing what you just did. You don't know this, but you just covered <laughs> my wrap-up thoughts. To, you know, <laughs> now, and, now what are you going to say? <laughs> I know. What you just did, Frank, was you just gave a primer, marching orders, instructions on the first step to making let real in your life. You've got to understand who you are as a Christian, that you don't have two natures. You have only Christ's life in you, that sin is a choice. You're not doomed to sin. And so when you understand those truths, you can choose, as you said, to set your mind on things above. You can choose to think about what's true and honorable and just and right, Philippians 4. And you can do just like Jesus did. Remember Hebrews chapter 12? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He set his eyes on the goal of being seated mm. at the right hand of God jointly together with us. Mm. That's what let allow Jesus to do in his life. So Frank, wrap us up. Well, John, as I was listening to you, I thought we do have another enemy and it's our feelings. And they don't have to be an enemy, but they can function as an enemy. We can feel like we're alone. We can feel like God doesn't love us. We can feel like we're not up to the demand. And feelings can be very powerful and they can overrule our choice to set our mind on what we know to be true. But we have to understand emotions are not always true. 
They are just indicators of uh, what we've got our eyes set on and indicators of what's troubling us. And like the warning lights on a car, the warning light came on, we wouldn't slam our brakes and come to a stop on the interstate, letting that light control us. We would get off the interstate, pop open the hood and look inside. And that's the way we got to handle our emotions. When they're alerting us to something wrong, pop open the hood and say, how do these feelings line up with truth? I am not alone. I feel alone. I feel like I'm not up to the demand, but I am because he is in union with me. And I feel weak, but what's the truth? He is my strength. And I set my mind on what I know to be true and let truth be truth and let Jesus be Jesus to me. Amen. Friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. If Father has reached out and ministered to you today in any way, please check out our website, www.ourresolutehope.com. There's tons of stuff there. And please spend some time and go to our YouTube channel. Just search on YouTube for us. We're easy to find, Our Resolute Hope. We've been spending a lot of time there recently populating with new material, sermon series, videos to help you on your walk with the Savior. And as we're wrapping up this year, we humbly ask you to consider supporting our Resolute Hope, not only with your prayers, but with your finances as well. You can find a place on our website to do that, should Father lead you to do so. And as always, we close with the same reminder. Frank, it sounds like it's getting old, sir, but it never does. Mm -hmm. From Hebrews chapter 6, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, a living hope, a resolute hope. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.